In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28, just the first half. Happy New Year, God tells Moses and Aaron, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, while chapter 12 will ultimately describe the final plague and the Exodus, before and after, Moses relays instructions regarding the Passover. The blood of a lamb, which causes death to pass over God's people, points to the blood of the lamb. Good morning. Today is Wednesday, November 23rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Listen, those folks do great work for the kingdom. Check out them uh, at lhfmissions.org. Well, joining us this morning to discuss Exodus chapter 12, or at least the first half, join me in welcoming my guest, the Reverend Adam DeGroote, pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Pastor DeGroote, good morning. Welcome back to the program. It's good to be back with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, always exciting to have you back. It's fun to say Rio Rancho, New Mexico. How's life been down there in New Mexico since we last talked? It's been very going very well. Um, had uh, a, a wonderful Reformation Festival uh, celebration, uh, fe- uh, the Feast of All Saints, and then of course we just had the uh, the last Sunday of the church here, um, and then uh, uh, took a trip up to visit some family. So we're actually uh, I'm coming to you from Wyoming. Uh, today. So I'm getting closer to the North Pole and it's getting colder. Oh, no. So you're in Wyoming, which, yeah, I guess would be a little chillier than down in New Mexico. It's a little bit chillier. Uh, Well, you know, you're right, though. It didn't even occur to me that we are now celebrating, well, Thanksgiving. Today's Thanksgiving Eve. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. But in terms of the church calendar, Advent begins next Sunday. So that's the new year of the church liturgical calendar. It's also the new year Uh, at least the New Year's being described for the people in our text for today with the Passover, uh, lots of new stuff going on. It's also kind of an Independence Day for them, so we have lots of holidays to talk about. Before we dive into the text, though, brother, would you uh, begin us with some prayer? I'd love to. We pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have caused all of your holy scriptures to be written for our benefit. So now send your Holy Spirit to us. We may read, mark, and inwardly digest your word of truth. Your word is truth. It gives us life. So be with us this day, that all who hear may be given that gracious life and the forgiveness of sins through the hearing. Be with them this day and all days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are at chapter 12. Finally, we are at the very last final decisive plague where God will send death upon the firstborn. But we have a little interlude here. Before we get to the plague, we have, uh, it's bracketed by some instructions on the Passover. Pastor, catch us up to where we are and set the stage for our conversation today. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. I was listening to the, to the episode that you guys had yesterday on Exodus 11. Um, and so we're, we're on the doorstep, as you had mentioned, um, of, of the Lord, you know, finally taking some time with Moses and, and saying, okay, 
these are the instructions, and I think we'll see that in our text for today, is that God, God never catches um, anyone by surprise. And, and I think that's one thing that for us as Christians we have to continue to remember, is God is very clear uh, with regard to um, how he's going to work, uh, who he's going, and what he's going to do. Uh, and what he does is he's going to take uh, both Moses and Aaron, but specifically Moses, and say, okay, here are the instructions specifically for you concerning what's going to be the, the ultimate plague. Uh, the 10th plague, which has been spoken of um, uh, leading up to it in Exodus 11. And so God takes this time um, to basically uh, make make this time for his own people to be able to, to make sure that they are hearing what it is that God is going to be doing as he comes to pass over this land uh, of Egypt and to set his people free. Right. And I, we also talked about it yesterday in terms of whether or not the Egyptians also had the opportunity to perform these actions in obedience to Yahweh. Do you have a thought about that? I, I think it's funny because you know, I was listening, like I said, listening to it yesterday is that, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, um, it's it's kind of like, you know, I think you had mentioned something about your 15 year old son. And, and, you know, this is the last time I'll tell you. But then he says, you know, <laughs> he, he thinks he's catching you. Right. <laughs> um, but the reality is, is that, my goodness, you know, at least plagues four through nine uh, have been. How do you say um, God giving um, something that would turn the Egyptians from their sin? Um, but what we end up finding, uh, of course, and we certainly will, even after this 10th plague, is that the result is not that, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians are turned in repentance. And that's, that's, that's the one thing to understand, is that God is not you know, going to be unleashing things from, from heaven or by his own um, all, you know, almighty uh, authority, because he, he dislikes the people. He, he does so ultimately uh, in order that people would be turned from their sin and live. So going back to the question you had asked is that, um, you know, uh, will the Egyptians know uh, concerning this particular 10th plague? Um, I think that they will. Uh, you know, there were, uh, as we see the Exodus, um, there were over a million uh, Jews. So there's probably a good, a, a good chance that they would have at least through hearsay uh, understood that this was coming. And not only that, but Moses has actually told this uh, four days before. Uh, or, or ample time ahead of when the tenth plague is going to come. So what we see is the long suffering of God, the patience of God, the mercy of God, the continual uh, preparation um, by virtue of giving His Word of God, and so many other things. Pastor Boo, it's it's such an amazing thing. And so for us as Christians to understand that this is um, this is not for us as Christians, especially to, to be understanding as as the wrath of God. But I think as we especially you know, discuss or understand the last days is that there will be a time uh, for us as Christians, even in the New Testament, as much as there has been in, in, in the times of old, where God will, will, cease, will, will cease to be merciful. Um, and, and what will happen is his, his, his alien work of wrath is going to be poured out on those who disbelieve. In my Bible study class this morning with uh, the folks at my church, we were talking about different religions and different belief and practices out, you know, in the world. And you know, we have this we have this idea going on in our world today that you know you're allowed to believe what you want to believe, but you really can't criticize other people because, well, true authority and truth comes from each individual person. So that may be your truth, but everyone has their own truth. 
And that's so in contrast to what's going on here in Egypt. So as you said, it's not that God is just so angry with the Egyptians he wants to smite them and wipe them off the face of the earth, but necessarily when he sets his people apart and necessarily when he displays his power over the gods of Egypt, which certainly he is against, these false gods, that people who don't buy into it or don't turn in faith to God are going to be excluded. So it's not as though the Jews were saying, hey, listen, you know, you guys, we don't want to insult you. Your gods are just as good as our God. We just prefer ours. It's that, no, when God displays his power, he can't help but wipe out or get glory over these false gods because they are nothing. And all this time, all this time, the Egyptians are seeing these things. And if that hasn't proven to them beyond a shadow of a doubt that their gods are nothing, that their Pharaoh king is not coming to save them, then they've hardened their hearts just like Pharaoh. God couldn't make it any clearer. Sure. Well, and, and I think that's the beauty. And we, and we do see hints of this, you know, when we see the commemoration, which we'll get to in a couple of moments. But, you know, uh, God, if, you know, we as Christians understand God is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So in other words, God has the first word and he has the last word. And to your point, Pastor Boo, um, you know, when when is this supposed to happen? At midnight. So one of the most prominent gods, Amon-Ra, uh, you know, the, the, the god of the sun, midnight couldn't be any further away from the sun. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so what I what I love about how it is that God works is how how profoundly he and he does this in, throughout the prophets as well, as you see. And, you know, um, and I can't remember if it was Isaiah or if it's Jeremiah. I think it's uh, in the book of Jeremiah um, where uh, you, you see the prophets act having to be wheeled out of the city on carts, but not able to even hold themselves up. The people have to tie them down. <laughs> And so God is, as we heard this last Sunday, um, God is making what we in the world think is wise. He is pointing out 100% the foolishness of it. Um, and, and so, you know, so that there is no mistaking for the final in the final analysis of the Egyptians. Well, that's fine. But my goodness, there's going to be a there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a whole people that's going to live for generations, of which we are the children of faith by virtue of the faith of Abraham. Um, and then, never mind the the New Testament implications for us uh, with regard to the Passover. So there's a lot we can talk about today, but we've only got an hour, so we better get busy. We better. So let's read the first 13 verses, which is about the first half of our section for this morning, and I'll be reading from chapter 12. Uh, the English Standard Version. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make for your count the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood, and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. 
they shall eat of the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay, Pastor, it seems like we have a little bit of conflation here, both the eternal sacrifice and the eternal, uh, sorry, festival, I should say, that he's having yeah. them hold in honor, but also some instructions for the very night that the plague is going to hit. Uh, what's going on? Oh, it's, it's fantastic because you, you have in this in this first part how, how God has always worked, right? How is God working now and how is God working not yet? Um, so what we, what we have here is that, okay, uh, now there's going to be this, I'm going to set you free uh, from your, your physical slavery in Egypt. But there's so much more. And we see that as we get into, uh, I believe it's uh, verse, um, oh boy, I got it here in my notes. Once we get to verse 13, um, this understanding, okay, well, this is a sign. And signs, you know, it's, it, signs point forward to something, um, something that's yet to come. Um, and most specifically, we'll, we'll talk about that, that, okay, well, who is this Passover lamb? What does this Passover lamb do? What is the implication of blood? So what we see is some very clear distinctions here um, or, or, or instructions um, with regard to um, it's not – it is important that these um, people of God are doing it in this particular manner, Um and yet there are also implications for what it is that we're going to see Christ ultimately fulfilling once we get to the New Testament. So we, that's where we get this Lamb of God uh, language. But then the other thing is such, such an amazing thing, too, is that, you know, uh, whether it's um, the, eating the flesh at night, uh, that's the night. And I think the distinction you're making is, okay, for the Jews who will remember this uh, up until, as we as Christians understand the New Testament, up until the la what we believe as Christians is the last Passover, which was Maundy Thursday, which then is going to give way to what we as, 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 as New Testament Christians would celebrate as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So in other words, there are many people who don't believe um, that they're simply continuing to remember that they've been freed from physical slavery, but that's to miss fully half, if not more, of what it is that God is actually pointing toward as he, as he operates within uh, the Passover. Um, so, um, it, it, like I said, I mean, I think just going back, you know, to, to, to get oriented from the very beginning is that we know that God is working for his people, and we know that because he set aside Moses and Aaron to go specifically to the people, not just to give specific instructions that the people are to follow. This has less to do with the instructions that the people will follow, and more to do with what God is going to do on that night as he passes over. And then the other thing that's such an amazing thing is that we often talk about it in terms of what it is that God's giving to, to the people. But I think, in, you know, I think we, if we take another look at it and say, okay, well, what is God taking away from um, 
what is God taking away from the Jews that night? And what ultimately is God taking away from us by virtue of his, you know, his death, Jesus' death on the cross? Well, most specifically, he's taking away sin, guilt, and shame. He's also taking away death. And so it's not just that God gives, Yahweh gives to his people life by virtue of physical, you know, freedom from slavery, but he also gives them life um, by virtue of continuing to abide with them in the wilderness. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's just a lot of things that we really could would, could latch on to as we go forward through these first uh, first couple of verses. Well, it's striking when you talk about how we should look at what God is taking away. I don't know if it's a cultural thing or just a human thing, but we often talk about all the amazing things that God gives us, right? All good gifts are from above. He gives us faith. He gives us salvation. And I know we do talk about the things he takes away, our guilt and our sin and that sort of thing, but we don't often talk about it in those terms very explicitly. We don't like to talk about being things being taken away, even if they're things that, that we want and should want to be taken away. So I think that's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, and I, I and I think, you know, and God bless us, right? And he does in the sense that, you know, we we as American Christians have been so influenced in many ways by by, you know, the 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 worldly promises of, of prosperity and health and wealth and, and whatnot. And and you know Nowhere within Holy Scripture does it say that this is an indication, you know, that that our being a Christian is an indication <clears throat> that that these physical gifts are going to are going to be given to us. And I think you had mentioned this yesterday, as with the guests that you were speaking of, is that you know, to the extent that we start to think um, that God is going to to, to bless us um, by virtue of how much or how little, you know, how much we do good things and how little we do bad things, um, we miss the entire purpose of the of the Scriptures because. Um, <laughs> the reality was is that uh, there was nothing that these people could have done, the people, the Jews could have done to physically free themselves from physical slavery. That's one. But even more so, and then this is when we get into the, the language of leaven and unleavened, um, it, it does have practical implications. Of course, it makes sense to have leavened bread or unleavened bread because you need to get out of there in a hurry because Pharaoh's going to be pretty angry. However, there are other implications that are that are far more broad because leaven. Um, Jesus will talk about this often: is that beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, um, and, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what we understand is the scriptures, the Holy Bible treats leaven very differently than how we think about it. So in other words, what Christ is doing is he's actually because leaven is acquainted with sin. Christ is saying, "No, I'm coming to take away sin by virtue of this unleavened bread that you're going to be eating." I am the unleavened bread, and I give you this life. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we see unfolding in this Passover. Wow, we really do. And I don't want to belabor our getting to that, but I do want to mention one thing. Since it is uh, at the end, right, we're in that transitional period between the end of the liturgical calendar where we celebrate uh, the last Sunday of the church year, last Sunday in Pentecost or Trinity. You know, we, we look toward the return of Christ. Advent's coming up, which is the beginning of the liturgical calendar, where we have this dual effect of both looking forward to celebrating the coming of Christ at Christmas, but really also looking to the return of Christ still at the end of time, the advent of Jesus. Yeah. And right. our, our liturgical life is, is measured and, and, and counted along these terms of the, the life and activities of Jesus, which is wonderful. 
But people have marked their calendars in a variety of ways. The Egyptians uh, early on, it was very agricultural. It was the marked time based on the ebbs and flows of the Nile, which makes sense for them. The Romans come around. We have the Julian calendar. Now we have the Gregorian calendar, which we, for the most part, use today. And then we have this Hebrew calendar. And in Israel today, they still use the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar, which finds its origins right here. There is no, from what I understand, uh, uh, reasons for us to have, say, the the New Year in January 1st, right in the middle of winter. Most cultures would have celebrated the New Year around the spring, which actually happens to be around the time that God sets up this this situation. So uh, you know, do you have a thought about just how the now God is organizing not only freeing them, but also organizing their lives, keeping time-wise around his activity. As I said earlier, it's, yeah. it's Happy New Year, but it's also sort of Happy Independence Day, not from God, but from the Egyptians. <laughs> right. And, see, but that's the thing. I mean, and I can't speak for any other any of, uh, anybody else who may be listening. I, I don't struggle with the law, Pastor Boo. I don't. I struggle with freedom. And so when you mm. present this, you know, I, I want to know, you know, what to expect, what's organized, all these sorts of things. And, and you know, so I don't want to light fireworks off necessarily on Thanksgiving. My neighbors might get angry with me. Nor am I going to be singing Joy to the World on Independence Day, although there's no reason that I can't. So what we, what we begin to understand is, that, okay, God is saying from the beginning, <laughs> in verse 2, this basically, you're going to be able to set your watch by this. Okay, well, is it set your watch by the 14th day of, of the month, of the 14th day of the month, the 15th day of the month, whatever it happens to be? And as my, my, one of my favorite professors at the seminary used to say, Naomichi Misaki, she used to say, is the wrong question. We ask the wrong question, you see, because we want to know how we can order our days. But that misses the point of what God's doing in verse 2. He is ordering our days. He is saying, I will, and you will be able to set your calendar by virtue of this freedom that's going to come, not just from the freedom of your slavery to Pharaoh, but ultimately, as this will be fulfilled in the blood of Christ, who is the true Passover lamb, you will be able to set your watch, indeed your entire life, by what it is that Christ has accomplished for you on that cross. That's the beauty of this. And so it, set, how do you say, it sets us free to freedom for freedom's sake, all based in Jesus. And our order, if we want any order in any way, shape, or form, or any, to make any sense out of, out of it at all— the only thing that we could say of any merit or value at all is that it's all ordered through Jesus Christ alone. Meaning, you know, here we are at the end of the church year. We know that we're going to mark the season of Advent uh, beginning. We're going to have certain readings that are going, that's going to be good. You know, God knows that we live confined within time and space. And so what he does is he becomes incarnate to dwell amongst us. And the beauty of our liturgical year is it doesn't, it, it's not there that we have to follow it to a T. It's not there as a law. It's given there as a gospel in order for us to set the framework or for us to see that God has set the framework where throughout this liturgical year, we're beginning, we, we, we can hear the readings of all that God has done for us, most specifically in his preparation to come to us, what he's done for us, uh, or who he is in, in terms of his incarnation, the revelation uh, in, in Epiphany, uh, the season of Lent, which prepares us again for what it is Christ will do for us on the cross uh, during during uh, Lent, and then the resurrection of the dead uh, that comes at Easter. It's such
such an amazing thing that the liturgical year is not a law. It is what God has given to us that he might continue to set us in order, that we might hear always what it is that he does for us. Oh, beautifully put. That's wonderful. I, and, and it is. It's freeing because I grew up in church bodies where they did not follow the liturgical calendar. Again, sure. not a sin, yeah. right? Yep. But right. the church year was still sort of Easter and Christmas they would do because it's become yeah. such a cultural idea. But then the the ebb and flow of the church year was they really at the whim of the preacher or the pastor who who really was not being guided into the whole counsel of God by, say, something like the lectionary, but rather just sort of preach on whatever he wanted to preach. And sometimes yeah. that's effective in the sense that he knows his people and what they need, and sometimes it's not so effective in the sense that he just preaches his own pet topics. Uh, but sure. so, so it frees me, for instance, the, the lectionary and the liturgy to be able to – Proclaim the whole counsel of God as we talk about it, right? I just don't stick in the parts that I like. Now, right. speaking of Jesus, verse 5, your lamb shall yeah. be without blemish and, and a male year old. You can take it from a sheep or the goats. Then we head down to verse 7. They shall take the blood, put it on the two doorposts of the lentil of the houses in which they eat it, and then they eat it that night. And then we see unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Uh, we have these instructions, and it's all about, as you put Pointing forward to what God is going to do, not pointing forward to if I'm unless I misunderstood you, not pointing forward to their keeping of this specific law. This is about teaching right. them something. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and of course, I mean, no doubt. I mean, you know, the the, the families, the heads of the household, will have to go and find these lambs. Um, they'll have to purchase them in some way, shape, or form. But you know, I was a great a, a great analogy that I that I heard recently. You know, it was a long time ago. It was of uh, a close family friend of mine whose grandfather refused to pray for dinner, <laughs> and and his wife asked him, "Well, why do you refuse to pray?" And he said, "Well, because I work today." Um, and I did this and I did that. And then and then the grandmother said to the grandfather, well, who woke you up? Who gave you the arms and who gave you the work to go to? And who is the one that continues to support you when you're at home? And so the, <laughs> the reality is we we often, you know, we are and they are the ones doing the doing, so to speak. But notice and this goes back, Pastor Buddha, what you said. Moses is a pastor to the people, and there's a liturgical setting really there for him. God doesn't say, go tell the people what you'd like to tell them. He says, go tell them this. Go tell them this. This is what I'm going to do for you. And what God is doing is he's beginning, he's continuing to order the lives of these people who are now going to be set free from bondage, and they're going to be ordered in order that they might go into the wilderness. To, to and, and, and that's the crazy thing. They're set free, but where are they set free to? The wilderness. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is bonkers. You know, it, this idea of health, wealth, and prosperity does not fit into this because they are set free from slavery. Pharaoh will pursue them. Of course, they'll be drowned in the Red Sea, but then they spend the next 40 years of their lives. Some people will die there with nothing except water from rock, quail, and manna from heaven. But what never ceases is that Yahweh continues to be faithful to them. That's the wonderful thing. He continues to order their days. He continues to give them all that they need. And, and like you said, too, is that in verse 5, you know, this is no coincidence. This is no coincidence at all. It's, it's John 1. I mean, you see in John 123, 129, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So 
That is John in his first chapter, who's hearkening back to what it is that God gave to Moses to write down. Um, a, a male without blemish. Um, uh, and, and honestly, and this is, I was talking about this a little bit earlier with my wife. I don't know what to make of, of the first year. I just don't know. So Pastor Boo, do you have anything on, on the, the male of a first year? I don't offhand. I really don't. But yeah. you know what? I'm I'm actually saved by the bell because we are up against a break. <laughs> when <laughs> when we come back, maybe we'll dig into that a little bit. But I also want to ask you a specific question, and that is sure. Christian satyrs. You know, that's something that seems to be going around. Why or why why not? Should we? Why should we be doing that or not? Uh, we'll we'll get to that when we come back, uh, folks. We're gonna take a break. Pastor DeGroat and I will keep on going. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Adam DeGroat, pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Remember, folks, if you have any questions or comments about our show, you can direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I respond to every email I receive. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. All right, now, Pastor, before the break, you asked me if I had any uh, insight into why the the sacrifice or the sacrificial lamb should be a year old. And I vigorously scoured all of my commentaries in the interim in hopes that I would come back with an answer that made myself look really, really smart. But it <laughs> seems like there's a it seems like there's a lot of debate Um so sure. I, there really yeah. is no consensus on it, which I'm sure you found, too, as you were studying for it. You know, one person did say, though, that, uh, you know, it's of course, it's to be a male taking place of the male firstborn of Israel connecting to the males in the plague. But then they write, and a year old, because it was not until then that it reached the full, fresh vigor of its life. Now, that's Kyle huh. Dalich, by the way, and it seems like sure. the implication there is that before a year old, um, it you, I guess it doesn't have enough life experience to be a good enough sacrifice. I'm not sure where he's going from that. Uh, but yeah, I, now you've got me curious. So I wrote it down for, uh, for my rabbit hole later, which often happen, which often happens after the show. Um, yeah, but no, I asked you a question thing. about Christian yeah. Seder. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. Just, I mean, just real quick on that too, is that, you know, here it is. This is this Passover lamb. If it's if it's reached, you know, the actual lamb has reached a year. It's cut down in the prime of his life. And my goodness, if Jesus dies, which he does, of course, 
at the age of 33, that is yeah. the height of the prime of his, of his life. I mean, you know, but like you said, you know, Kyle and Dale handle it, you know, uh, very, very well. But I think the two clearest things that we do see are those, you know, the first or the male without a blemish um, that's mm-hmm. there uh, in, in verse in verse five. Yeah. And again, you know, and that's the interesting thing that we must remember is that, you know, the commentators aren't inspired. Uh, you know, Pastor mm-hmm. DeGroat and I aren't inspired. It's our job to um, interpret the scriptures in a way that's consistent with proper interpretation methods, right? Consistent with our confessions in ways that reveal God's intent. But we, being so far removed, sometimes have to just rely on the Holy Spirit's, uh, you know, gift of faith to understand that these things are important because God said they were, right? So all that boils right. down to we believe it because God said it sometimes. Sure, sure. Now, I've seen some folks and even churches that I've been at to show my hand a little bit who have either done Christian satyrs or they want me to do them, and I have been reluctant because of the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper is when Christ has instituted uh, the fulfillment of what the Passover meal was pointing forward to. But I was curious if you had an opinion on the matter. Well, I, I, as, as maybe our Lord would do, but my first question is, why? Why would we want that? <laughs> and and right. the reason that I ask that is, may, is maybe then, okay, you know, there's any number of different answers that could, that could go with that. It's tradition, whatever it happens to be. But, but I think, and tell me what you think of this. I, I, I was... I was I was looking over my notes last night at about twelve forty five and and it I found something here from verses fourteen to seventeen that blew my mind and may, maybe it blew my mind for no reason but I want to hear your thoughts on this because verse seventeen really kind of working backwards is saying okay um, the feast uh, that is the the eating of the lamb is separate from the feast of unleavened bread and so for us or for for so for the Jews they continue to practice. Um, you know, uh, this gathering together, they still practice the Passover. They still do today. They're still going through their houses. They're removing yeast. They're removing all sorts of different things. But but that misses the point of what true leaven is. Leaven, scripturally, is sin. Okay, so what we have is the actual Old Testament Passover ends on Maundy Thursday and gives way then to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which begins then on Good Friday, which is consummated and really begins, technically speaking, because we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper on Maundy Thursday. It was actually on Good Friday because it was after dark. Um, so technically, uh, what's happening is we have two separate feasts that are being talked about here, the Feast of, of the Eating of the, of the Lamb, um, and then the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is what our Lord does is he... The, the, he takes away the leaven, not just of the Pharisees, but the leaven from all of us, and he does so by bearing our sin to the cross, dying to put our sin to death. And therefore, as you had mentioned, Pastor Boo, we continue to practice, as you or I as pastors would say, specifically with regard to the blood of our Lord, this is the New Testament of my, in my blood, meaning this is Christ's last will and testament given to us, but it's not just the last will and testament um, that, that, you know, he, that he spoke once, never to speak again. He's continually speaking this last will and testament to us each and every time, going back full circle to what we were talking about before. He's constantly renewing us. He's constantly ordering us. He's constantly reminding us that 
every time that we gather together for the Lord's Supper, we are partaking in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that's a that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> right, but, but no, I mean, we haven't actually read those verses yet. I want to get them out there. But yeah. verse 14 says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall uh-huh. keep it as a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So I think it's important for us to understand that when, or for Christians in general to understand, that we didn't go, oh, yeah, well, we don't have to do that anymore. No, it's yeah. it's been fulfilled, as Christ often does. Uh, to aid in our conversation, let me read verses uh, 14 uh, through, let's just do the rest of the chapter. Here we go. Sure. Actually, not the rest of the chapter, the rest of our section. Sorry, folks. Verse 28. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat the unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lentil and the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say... It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Egypt, people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Okay, lots of text here, and we also have that conflation again between Moses speaking after the fact and also what he told the people right before the first uh, actual Passover. So, yeah, we have this, you know, keep it as a feast, as a statue for generations, and then a lot of repetition about the unleavened bread, which, as we know in Hebrew, is for emphasis. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, and I think, but it begins, you know, interestingly enough with, with you started reading with verse 14. And this, of course, for, for us is, is specifically Lutheran Christians, but also there's been a lot of discussion concerning the words, you know, in remembrance of me, whatever it happens to be. So for, so this day shall be to you a memorial. <clears throat> well, okay, a memorial of, of what? Um, not necessarily, and this goes back to how it is that Yahweh is orienting them. Not what you have done for preparation, because remember, 
the people wouldn't have known what to do unless Yahweh had sent Moses to tell them what to do. So in other words, the source of any sort of clarity is always is always Yahweh. It's God. And so this day is to serve to you via a memorial. And I think ultimately, as we understand the words of institution, um, it's maybe not the best interpretation to say, do this in remembrance of me. But, but I think it's probably, you know, maybe better and certainly more theologically sound and maybe more literal to say, um, do this in my remembrance of you, meaning I remembered you while you were in Egypt. And this is what we see throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Have you forgotten that I remembered you when you were back as slaves in Egypt? Did you forget that I remembered you here? Did you forget that I remembered you there? Did you forget that I remembered um, the, who you were? And then, and furthermore, after Jesus Jesus is crucified, I think we often forget that Jesus does not remember our sins. There's no remembrance of them at all. <laughs> and that's the beauty of what's happening here, is that as this Feast of Unleavened Bread continues to be, to be given, which is, according to our understanding as Christians, the Lord's Supper, then we understand that it's not a matter of having to, you know, my goodness, think about the, if, if we were to read this pastor boot as pure law, I would never eat a loaf of bread again in my life. You know, right. I mean, and I'm being a bit facetious, but the reality is, is that, okay, it's not a matter of removing actual literal yeast from your house. This leaven that Jesus is, that Yahweh is talking about in the Old Testament is sin. And on Good Friday, which comes after the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is given where Christ, who is the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world, and we understand then that it's fulfilled. And that's a wonderful blessing for us, because we understand our Jewish brothers and sisters, they're still celebrating this, awaiting a Savior that's still yet to come. Lord, have mercy on them. You know, we because they continue to stay fixated on... Um, removing yeast or fulfilling the law or whatever it happens to be. And so if we don't see that the actual Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday is the fulfillment of what Christ has done for us, um, uh, or what Christ prophesied in the Old Testament, specifically in Exodus 12, boy, there's a lot that we miss. And in missing that, we miss the whole point specifically that we're set free, not just from physical slavery, but we're set free from sin and we're set free from death. Well, even in verse 14, when he says this shall be for you a memorial day, which you're connecting, of course, to the remembrance we have in the Lord's Supper, in the mm -hmm. very next chapter, it says, and it shall be a sign to you uh, on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. But then it's immediately followed by, for with a strong hand, Yahweh has brought you out of Egypt. That's, of course, not yep. the only place. What's being remembered or memorialized? is that God saved them from their slavery, and he saved them from the punishment of death. Is that not what he fulfills ultimately for all people who put their faith, hope, and trust in him through Christ? Saves us from our slavery to sin, and of course from our eternal death that comes from being enslaved to sin. Yeah, and, and so ultimately, I think, I think roundabout, you know, going back to the initial question that I asked, you asked, you know, should we as Christians observe a Seder meal. My question to that was, why? Well, <clears throat> to the extent that we're doing it, maybe, let's put it this way, we're free to. <laughs> we're free to, and we're free within the gospel to, to do this. But the reality is that then the next question comes to, to my mind, where is the benefit in it? Where is the benefit in it 
for us in any way, shape, or form, when our Lord is very clear as to say, we in the New Testament are partakers of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, namely the Lord's Supper. And amen to that. You know, what I've seen oftentimes is people will say, well, it's for educational purposes to connect to what's going on at the first Passover, which is great, except then what's normally done is a very modern version of the ceremonial Passover, which has only tangential connections. And then I've seen sure. in its worst cases where they've replaced a Monday, Thursday with it. You know, every other year we'll do the Lord's Supper and every other year we'll do the Seder. And that certainly isn't I, I would I would argue is not appropriate. But the, what you're asking or what you're saying is proper. That is, why? Why would we do it? And if you can come up with a good reason, yeah, that's fine. We're free to do that. Yeah, right. But yeah. personally, brother, yeah. I've not heard a good reason yet, except maybe just for educational purposes. So, yeah, sure. so we have and this it, it, um, interesting text, and we're continuing going through it. We, you know, we're running out of time, but there's so much here. But, you know, going kind of skipping down to verse 21, you know, Moses we're back transported back to Egypt before the Passover has first taken place, the Passover of Yahweh, saving them from death. Moses calls and he tells them to do what the Lord has commanded. And he says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lintel on the two, por- two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. He tells them not to leave until morning because Yahweh will pass through. Sometimes I think people get this image that, Death is coming, and Yahweh has given them the means by which to protect themselves from death. But the death that's coming is being brought by Yahweh. It's Yahweh who's going through the streets bringing death. He's given them the instructions to protect themselves from him, and I think we miss that. Yeah, no, and and, and, and that's the beauty. And I think the other thing, too, is that, okay, um, he's – how do you say it goes back to verse 2. He's setting the order, and he's saying, I've, I've given you everything that you need to be protected from me, and to be protected from me. Um, and, and what I mean by protect, but what, what, what I mean by that is simply, it's that God is going to come ultimately in this alien work. Um, he's been trying to turn these Egyptians uh, from their sin to be turned in repentance to see uh, who it is that this Yahweh is, who it is that this God of the Israelites is, who it is that this God of the Jews is, because he's merciful. He's merciful to all. Um, and and it, we, we can't lose focus on this, that we know that Yahweh is going to be merciful to the Jews. But he gives Pharaoh countless, countless times to be turned from, to be turned from his ways. But Pharaoh, as we've heard many times, is hard-hearted, he's stiff-necked, all sorts of different things. So what's interesting then, just tying this in, going back to chapter or verse 21, is that, uh, specifically 22, is that, okay, you have then this hyssop, um, and this hyssop then ties us to, in the Psalm 51, David talks about this, purge me with hyssop, and, and, I shall be, uh, and I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. But then, once again, we, this is not a coincidence that we have here, is that Okay, the Jews are to paint the blood onto their doorposts by a branch of a hyssop. Well, then we go to Matthew 27, verse 48. To, to, upon what was the sponge of vinegar handed to our Lord as he thirsted on the cross? A hyssop branch was used to offer Christ the drink. And so what we see here 
is a hyssop that's been used most specifically, you know, throughout throughout time, uh, used to clean, le- cleanse lepers in, in Leviticus 19. Aaron uses it to purify people in Numbers chapter 19. And then Hebrews 10 it, it begins to address this in, many, in various ways as well. But this hyssop is saying all of these things are connected, and our Lord gives us these words in the Old Testament and in the New to be able to see. It's sort of a fancy word, but I love fancy words. Um, and a fancy word that we'll describe perspicuity, the perspicuity of Scripture, meaning Scripture interprets Scripture, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that the God of, of the, the one who was faithful to those he saved from slavery in, his, in Egypt is faithful to us today to save us not just from the slavery um, that we may be in in our various lives, but most specifically our slavery to sin and our slavery to death. He's the one that sets us free from that, and he does it all free to us and at great cost to him. The destroying that comes is by the hand of Yahweh. The destroying that we deserve is then put upon Jesus, and that's all that connection that we really need to know. But we see here even in this text, though, as he talks to the Hebrew people, He connects everything that's about to happen and his redemption from what he's about to do. I mean, just as a contrapuntal, people will look and they'll say, well, it says that he'll stop the destroyer. Well, that can be translated. He will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses. Could be translated, he will not allow the destruction to enter your houses, the destruction, of course, which he himself brings. Hebrews 11 talks about the destroyer more in a personified way. So even if this is some sort of angel of death versus Yahweh's on hand, it still doesn't matter because God's in control, for the record. Correct. But yeah. we still have God then connecting this not just to, as we talked about at the very top of the show, his you know his smiting of the Egyptians. It's connected to the promise, verse twenty-five. Yeah. When you when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you, as He has promised. You're going to keep this service. You know, I'm giving you this Passover. It's going to be a it's going to be a statute for generations, for generations, for eternal. And by the way, yep. in that means that you're going to be around to celebrate it. So, so there's yep. there's redemption, there's freedom. It's the Lord's Passover. Uh, I just think that's beautiful because He's in connecting it to what's coming, and that is the keeping of His promise, uh, the promised land. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and yes, I mean, you know, what what is it? It goes back, like you were saying, you know, we go back to the beginning of the text. What is God? Okay, we know God is giving freedom to the Israelites, to the Jews. But what is he taking away from them? I think Hebrews really, really does a good job of articulating this. He is taking away from his own people the fear of death. That's what he's taking away. And that fear of death comes because of sin, and death, of course, comes because of sin. So in other words, because Christ in this, this Passover serves as a sign of that which is to come, namely the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Lord's Supper, we then begin to see, especially as Lutherans, we're not re-sacrificing the Mass in any way, shape, or form as our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters do. We're not believing that it's a memorial meal like our Calvinist and, and Reformed brothers and sisters do. We believe and take our Lord at His word that He says, we know that this sign pointed forward in the Passover to this very feast of unleavened bread, where Christ continues to be merciful to me to take my leaven, namely my sin, and to continue to forgive me because he is merciful. 
he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And what he's constantly doing, and we understand this in the last part of the church here, is we know that in the final analysis, he will be, he will be wrathful, but he will be wrathful to the unbeliever. Um, and he, but yet he will not be wrathful to us because the wrath of God is fulfilled, is fully taken upon the Passover lamb, who is Christ our Lord, as it was in the first Passover. It's fantastic. Well, and I'm a catechesis guy, so I love verse 26. Ultimately, it's not only about redeeming them. This establishing of this festival, this feast, is also about passing on, right? That's all compartmentalized um, in our lives when we say, well, you know, we send our kids to Sunday school and they learn this. We send them to public school. They learn that. uh, And, you know, we have church and this happens. But really, this is all about passing on and raising up children in the faith that they know that they belong to a God who redeemed their ancestors out of Egypt because he's going to redeem them ultimately in the future. The implications for verse 26 is that it says when you when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You get to tell them about that. You get to tell them about the, the Passover. But I'm assuming that this happens because even after they're in the promised land. So if they're already in the promised land, then what are they looking forward to? The grave? No, there's, there is no, an ultimate no. redemption that's planned by God. Yeah, and, and not only that, but there's, there's another thing, too, as you, were, as you were reading that, and that's what I love. Paul's right. You know, I mean, the Scriptures are right. Faith does come by hearing. So here's Yahweh talking about this, this, this exodus, this, this trial, this travail, um, the death that will come for firstborn. But, Pastor Boo, what is the greatest indication— of, of, of how it is that God continues to maintain his creation, but children. The greatest hope for a future are children. And so you see it here, this final, it's not just a promise for the eschaton or the days far off. You who will travail through the wilderness, though you will tarry along the way, and though it will be very difficult, I will continue to give you life, I will feed you, I will clothe you, I will watch over you, and I will continue to give you children, and you will tell this story, not the story just of leaving with fastened belts or sandals. You will tell the great story of the the Lord Yahweh, who is the Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is doing the same thing to save us from our enemies of sin, death, and the devil, and he's going to do so unto the last day. So he's taking care of us now just as much as he will when he finally takes us to be with him forever in heaven. 26 is, yeah, you're, you nailed it. You really nailed it. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to end by that, except for that beautiful gospel proclamation. Um, also, and saying that I nailed it, I think that's a good way to end, too. <laughs> I'd like to thank my guest. There we go. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Adam DeGroat. Awesome guest, as always. He's the pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Peace of the Lord be with you. A blessed Thanksgiving to you and your family. You too. Folks, thank you for joining us tomorrow's Thanksgiving Day, but you know what? We'll still be here with the final half of chapter 12. You'll hear the Reverend Dr. John Brunner as he takes us through the final plague, the exodus out of Egypt, and the last part of the Passover festival instructions. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. <laughs>